This is the London Live Podcast. Listen live weekdays from 1 to 3 on 980 CFPL. There is something that can feel slightly normal, even though it won't be conducted around a horseshoe. But if we were to say today, hey, London City Council meets tonight. They're going to be talking about city finances If you are interested in things like that, if you pay attention to what the City of London does and how it impacts you, and I hope you do, then this does feel just a little bit normal. Joining us right now is Budget Chair and Ward 7 City Councillor Josh Morgan. Councillor Morgan, how's your day going? Uh, It's going pretty good, Mike. How's yours? Except for the snow. Uh, Yeah, it's been odd. Yeah. At times, it's sunny, it's still a little chilly, and then you look outside and we've got a blizzard happening. So be safe uh, setting yourself up for a Zoom meeting. Are you guys still using Zoom today? Uh, yes, yes, we are. We're doing digital meetings now, and, and most of council, uh, except for the committee chairs, are participating uh, remotely on a regular basis now. So that's, uh, that's what we've moved to, and it's, it's actually working quite effectively. Has anyone attempted to do this from a hot tub? Because I did see that somebody in the United States, I think it was in Minnesota, showed up for a council meeting. Well, they didn't really show up. They were there. But they did it from their hot tub. Um, I don't have a hot tub. I'm, I, may, I may be tempted if I did. But uh, <laughs> no one has attempted to do that so far, uh, as, as far as I've known. I, I will say I, I, I have been to a council meeting wearing my dress shirt and jacket and very comfortable pants. Um, and I'm not sure if I'm going to be able to go back to normal pants when, uh, when the end of this is over, like most people. But, uh, uh, but that's about as far as I've gone. No hot tub, but uh, definitely comfortable pants. Yeah, normal pants, they're deep in the closet by now. I don't know if anybody has worn normal pants in a long, long time. And you're right, I don't know if that's necessarily a bad thing. Let's talk about today and the idea that finances for the city will likely come up. How do you expect this discussion to be focused? Well, there's actually four important um, financial discussions that we'll have today, um, uh, and, and I'll just highlight them, and then we can talk about whichever one you like. The, the first is uh, uh, our first attempt at a, at a debenture issue or a debt issuance, uh, which we do on a regular basis, but um, but there hasn't been ma- many successful debt issuances given the market conditions, and so uh, we're going to authorize one, and we'll see how that goes, and our staff will report back. Um, London has always had uh, a good uptake on its offerings, and, and we're hoping that that remains to be the case, but we'll see how that, that, that goes, and that might impact our, our ability to finance stuff uh, with debt moving forward. Uh, the next is um, we have uh, our tax policy report. Um, this is the report that changes the budgeted increase of 4.4% for residential homeowners uh, into an all-in tax increase of 2.5%. The tax policy report is really how the different tax classes pay for the tax increase. And uh, in this case, uh, the residential homeowners will face uh, a lower increase than, um, uh, than anticipated in the budget. Uh, next is a, a very important um, uh, lobby uh, discussion on education taxes. Um, essentially, there's an unfairness in the education tax sector for businesses. Uh, we're going to be asking Queen's Park to uh, rectify that problem. Uh, essentially, if you compare London to Toronto, our businesses pay about 25% more in education taxes. And um, there was a plan to upload that uh, that got paused in 2012. Given the COVID-19 situation, this is uh, an action that we need resumed because it would provide immediate relief for our businesses uh, it would drop their tax bills by 7% and, uh, and, and, and equate to about $10 million of savings for them. 
And then the final item, which is the one that impacts most taxpayers, is uh, a motion to defer um, uh, the the due dates on our, our property tax bills uh, through the rest of the year. So uh, what we're what was recommended by committee was 60 day deferrals uh, on all of the remaining bills, uh, with the exception of the final one. We have to have that one due before the end of the year, so that'll be a December 16th, uh, December 15th due date. But basically, all of the the regular due dates that we have for the rest of the year will all be delayed by 60 days to give a little, little more flexibility uh, to Londoners to, uh, to to pay those bills. Great stuff. We're talking with Ward 7 Councillor and Budget Chair Josh Morgan as we look at, as Councillor Morgan outlines, four separate financial discussions set to go today in a city council meeting conducted through Zoom. So deferring those tax or property tax payments, that's that's something that would it take a, a long time? Is, is this one of those things that you expect to be pretty simplistic in all of this? Well, the debate committee was thorough, um, but unanimous at the end of the day. Uh, there were there were a number of options that we had on different lengths of deferrals. There was also a number of discussions about the pre-authorized payments. Uh, we basically landed on 60-day deferrals with no changes to, uh, to pre-authorized payments, uh, although people can certainly contact the city with lots of time to, to adjust their pre-authorized payments. The reason why we did that is a number of residents gave us feedback and said, Listen, I have planned deductions coming out. I don't want you to mess mess those up. I don't want you to move it in a situation where they all get loaded up at the end. That's unaffordable to me. Don't mess around with the pre-authorized payments. However, uh, flexibility on the due dates uh, for for those who pay their tax through uh, through online billing or uh, or their bank. Uh, we're going to give a little more time on those, and that, that's where the committee landed. And so it was a good discussion, but that seemed to be. The balanced approach. Now, what our treasurer did caution us on uh, is that any further relief beyond the measures uh, that we've uh, we've outlined in this report would likely require temporary borrowing from the city's reserve funds to be able to provide the necessary cash for the city to continue to supply its its essential operations. In other words, we're basically going as far as we can go without having to dip in to the reserve funds. And the reason why we don't want to do that at this meeting is there is a very important report coming to council next week that is going to outline the full impacts of COVID-19 on the city's operations. So in other words, uh, you've heard stories of municipalities, millions and millions of dollars in the hole. Uh, we're going to find out what the London situation looks like next week, and we need to make sure that we base our decisions on that context. Um, and so you see us taking uh, an approach where we go as far as we can now. Um, we may take further action once we see where the city stands and what our capacity is next week. Certainly. And is there a date on when that report is due to be handed in? Yeah, yeah. so the report will become public uh, uh, tomorrow at noon, and uh, it will be at uh, our SVPC committee on April 28th for debate and discussion. So I think you'll see, I know certainly you'll be covering it when it comes out, but that'll be a very interesting report. So you'll really have an understanding of how the city operations and our finances have been impacted by this pandemic. So big discussion next week. However, it does become available to the public tomorrow. Right. Tomorrow at about noon. Okay. Councillor Morgan, thank you so much for your time, your insight. And uh, if you can get a hot tub before the meeting starts, you can be like the guy in Minnesota. And anything hot today actually feels pretty good. Thanks yeah. for the time. Be safe. No problem. And, and do me a favor. When you talk to Tom Taggart later today uh, about the tragedy out east, Tom and I are colleagues yes. on, uh, on the FCM. 
uh, I've passed along uh, uh, my sympathies and thoughts. Uh, be sure to say uh, hello and that we're thinking of him for me as well, because uh, he's, he's, we sit on committees together on the Federation of Canadian Municipalities, and certainly my thoughts are with him and his province at this time. Small world, and certainly we will. Thanks, Councillor Morgan. Thank you. That is Councillor Josh Morgan, budget chair as well. So a lot of financial discussion today. We outlined a few of the things that will be talked about, but... As Councillor Morgan pointed out, the big thing is tomorrow at around noon, how is COVID-19 affecting the city finances? Because a lot of municipalities, a lot of provinces, a lot of countries, we've got some real challenges ahead. And we know it based on what we've had to spend all of a sudden or what we've had to defer into the future, where normally that's money coming in that can be allocated to pay for certain services. There are going to be some changes. What are the changes in London? We'll find out tomorrow. When this is all over, and we know it could be a while yet, we're going to look at a lot of things. And we're going to try and figure out whether they need to be done differently, perhaps improved. Healthcare systems, number one. Food supply chain, probably somewhere up there around two or three. If we look at politics, we're going to have some leaders that get great praise for the way that they have handled things. I don't think anybody's going to argue with what they've seen from Ontario Premier Doug Ford. There are mixed reviews on Prime Minister Justin Trudeau. There are always mixed reviews on Prime Minister Justin Trudeau. There are other premiers who will be credited with having done a lot be interesting to see what kind of fallout happens in the United States. But one of the things that we'll look at is not necessarily the leaders themselves. That'll be a topic of conversation. But how about the system that brought them to us? Because we've talked for a long time that the system in elections isn't perfect. It really never is. And it doesn't matter whether we're electing political leaders, class presidents, whether we're selecting valedictorians, or whether we're doing a poll online. Sometimes democracy doesn't really feel like democracy. It feels like a popularity contest. And when you have a popularity contest, you don't always get what you need to get in a good leader. Joining us to talk about that is someone who has written extensively about it, tweeted about it over the weekend, and that is Professor Matt Farrell, Professor of Political Science and an elections analyst at Fanshawe College. Professor Farrell, thanks so much for being here. Hey, my pleasure, Mike. We've been talking for a long time about government. We've been talking about government since we formed our own governments. You can go back to the beginning of countries, and you can go back to constitutions and all sorts of things to figure out how things should be run. But if we look at how the democratic practice runs now, what do you think of it? Well, as you, as you mentioned in your intro, this is something that's perhaps, you know, maybe tacitly understood but not openly acknowledged and that we're not always choosing the, the most competent leaders, right? We're choosing people for a variety of different reasons, oftentimes because it makes us feel good. And that's, you know, that doesn't necessarily produce leaders that are going to respond well in a crisis, that are going to be able to man, manage the economy, and so on. And so you know, we, we don't have a system that necessarily screens for competence. And if we did, we could imagine that that might look pretty different. We, maybe you could imagine something like, 
big test, standardized testing, who knows? I mean, even the way they choose Star Trek captains, they, they run them through a simulation to see how they're going to respond to, uh, to, to different tests. So I like that are, idea. It might work, right? The, 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 put them through the, the holodeck simulation. But, you know, we're, we're starting to see um, different leaders around, not just our country, but, you know, south of the border as well, handling things very differently. And I, and I think there's really something to be said for getting out of the way, realizing the limits of your own knowledge, and letting the, the sort of public servants deal with it, because oftentimes they're the real experts. Yeah, that's it. I mean, we put the hands in the power of the people because, like you say, that feels good. It sounds good. That's the way it should be. But then we have to trust the general public to make the right decisions. And how many people are actually going through what different candidates for any particular position will be saying? A lot of them will just say, oh, it's, it's, my, it's my right to vote and it's my duty to vote and here I go and vote. And a lot of times you could ask them, well, do you know anything about this? No, no, no. But I've voted every single election for the last 30 years, and I'm not about to break my streak. I mean, that, that if we were to say that and, and examine that, doesn't that sound a little scary? Uh, yeah. I mean, it's an age-old question. It is kind of scary, but it's also there's an element of doing your civic duty, right? If you're going to use the the services, if you're going to sort of be involved in public discourse, then, yeah, why not have your say and, and, and vote for the people that you want in charge. And, uh, you know, we, 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 get, we get different results. I think maybe there's a problem that we could trace back um, a little, you know, you know, maybe it happens in the process before the actual voting. And that's the folks that emerge to be candidates. I, I'm noticing a cohort of political leaders, and not just leaders, but candidates as well, you know, elected politicians, and their first job uh, before getting into politics, their first job was in politics. And so we're seeing, uh, you know, people who've got a few MPs in, in the local region that would sort of, uh, you know, fit that bill prior to, you know, getting winning elected office. They were working either in Parliament Hill or at a local constituency office. And so when you see that happening, and I mean, you, we probably look around and we see Andrew Scheer um, would, would be an example of that type of, uh, of, uh, of path. You know, when that happens, what you're you're seeing is folks that are exposed to that partisan process, right? So they the um, to get promoted to be successful in that environment, what you've got is you know the behaviors that are reinforced aren't necessarily ones that require you know thoughtful reflection and deliberation. It's scoring points for your side and 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 being a, a loud partisan, and so those aren't the type of skills and behaviors that we necessarily need in times of crisis. And so when I when I look around, I do see some of that folks that are really struggling with the shift from, geez, I'm not, I can't, I guess I can't really be the instinctual politician that I want to be right now. I got to, I got to pump the brakes and, and do something else. I need to be more of a, a sort of a manager that's, that's almost taking a backseat to some of these, these experts in the room. We're talking right now with Professor Matt Farrell from Fanshawe College, Professor of Political Science, also an elections analyst, and just kind of looking at our systems. Professor Farrell, do you think that what is going on right now, because no doubt we're going to have report cards for leaders pouring out all over the place after the bulk of this is finished or after it is declared over entirely, this pandemic, do you think that will prompt a look at different countries' systems? Um, I, I don't think in the long term it will. I mean, probably short term, we'll see some politicians lose. So I think we'll see some people get voted out in, in response to this. Maybe other people 
um, see the um, see, see the other side of that get get reelected or, or or what have you based on their their performance in this in this current crisis. So I don't know if there'll be any long term systemic change. I, I do hope that what it does is underscore the value of the kind of unelected uh, public servants that do that everyday work. I think if you know there's times um, you know just in, in you know in recent decades where those folks have come under under attack, and um, that's usually uh, fiscal pressure, right, trying to reduce the size of government. And so I remember, you know, in the early 90s during the Kretchen years, the public service was kind of getting hollowed out a bit. It's happened at the same time here in Ontario as kind of costs were downloaded onto the province. They had to cut back. You know, we see things like, you know, the Walkerton, you know, when, when, you, when you diminish the sort of the, the capacity of the government to deal with these sort of everyday issues, and we diminish the role of these public servants, then bad things can happen. And so I, I hope what this does in terms of, you know, looking at the process long term is really help everybody realize the value that these people bring to to governance. Yeah, the, the folks on TV, the elected officials, they're the ones that sort of, uh, you know, maybe bear the reputational cost, right? They're, they're the ones that are going to have their careers live and die by their performance. But the ones that are doing the nitty gritty work, I think we really need to ensure that there's a strong, uh, capable and, and, you know, reasonably well-funded public service to help do some of this work, especially when our, um, in Ontario with the public health infrastructure that's being, you know, it's strained, but we're also seeing it work and it's, it's become a little more visible right now. Yeah, good point. I mean, we sometimes have so many nameless, faceless people. Maybe some of them, that's what they don't mind. That's that's kind of what they like. But at the same time, sure. if we did know who they were and, and appreciated what they were doing, maybe we'd have a different feeling about them. Before we let you go, Professor Farrell, anybody you look at saying, you know what, I like the way that leader is doing things? Um, I, I'm, I'm going to sort of pick on uh, both of ours here. I got uh, our, our local uh, Ontario Premier and then our uh, our Prime Minister see two different approaches. Each one um, I, I like. I, I, I see uh, Premier Doug Ford. He, he's he's doing what he does well, which is he, he's going to get up in front of the camera. He's going to sort of talk about responsibility and things that need to be done. And then he's going to get out of the way and pass it over to the health officials. He's going to openly say, I'm going to listen to these people because they know what they're doing. My job is to is to help make things run and to to provide support when we need it. And that goes from sort of issuing, you know, the tough statements on TV to, to, you know, to mandating closures or to picking stuff up in his pickup truck and and, and driving it to the hospital. He's he's doing um, it all. And I think it's really um, a result of him being able to sort of push pause on on the political instincts and sort of shift gears at the same time, recognizing what his role is, what he's good at and, and getting out of the way for some of the elected or for the unelected folks to do their job. National level, I see the prime minister doing something similar, but just uh, a different spin on it. You know, he's going to be the kind of, uh, hey, I'm I'm here with you. I'm hunkered down, more or less, and uh, gonna gonna try and weather this storm. But here's the experts to to talk about things. You know, he's he's giving messages to the kids. He's trying to give the sort of reassuring statements. But at the same time, realizing in the Federation, his role right now is limited. Let the provinces do their thing, support the leaders when you can. So I, I really like what both what both folks are doing. Do you see a very different approach in the U.S.? Well, that certainly is a, is a, a good example of um, someone that's elected with a skill set that might, uh, you know, be very, you know, the, the skill set suited to being on TV and to, to being a judge in a reality <laughs> show competitions and, and, and such. To actually, you know, dealing with a massive public health bureaucracy and dealing with uh, national and state re- relations, 
definitely a different animal. And I think some of it could just be driven by personality. We see the U.S. president as somebody that really likes to be the focus of attention. And so that's that impulse isn't necessarily one you need right now when there's other folks and other levels of government that need to be doing something. So, yeah, quite a I, I would say it's a pretty stark contrast in the way that um, not just the leaders are handling, but in the way the, the systems of federalism are, are are functioning, too. Great point. Great to talk to you, Professor Farrell. Thank you so much for the insight. Be safe. Appreciate it. You too, Mike. Take care. That's Professor Matt Farrell from Fanshawe College, professor of political science, also an elections analyst. And I, you know what? Look at how Professor Farrell outlined U.S. President Donald Trump right there. That that was brilliant. That was really well done. You've got somebody who has a skill set, but you have somebody who likes to have the spotlight. And in this case, you can't have the spotlight if you don't understand what that spotlight is shining down on you. That's a big deal. And in this case, if you don't understand how the health system works, if you don't understand viruses and immunology and virology and microbiology, you got to get out of the way. You got to call on people who do understand that. And that's what we are seeing from both our premier and our prime minister. Just because we're in the middle of a pandemic does not mean that issues that plague our community just go on hold. Oh, we're in a pandemic? Don't worry, this issue doesn't exist anymore. We heard that in the Premier's address just a little while ago, where there were questions about parents who have children with autism. And the Minister of Children, Community and Social Services, Todd Smith, had to stand in front of those questions and he had to answer them. Did he give great answers? I don't think it's what the parents wanted to hear. I don't, I don't think there was anything concrete. It was just, hey, we're, we're going to do what we can. When it comes to housing in London, when it comes to affordable housing, when it comes to homelessness, we, like other municipalities, have challenges. And those challenges have not gone away. So let's take a look at some of the steps being taken this week to kind of address what is happening for people who are looking for affordable housing, who are looking to find a place to stay. You know, just because we look out the window and say, oh, look at that blizzard out there, doesn't mean there's somebody who's in it. Because there is. There are a lot of people who are having to deal with things that way. Joining us right now is the Managing Director of Housing Social Services and also the Dearness Home for the City of London, Sandra Dater's Beer. Sandra, thanks so much for being here. Hi, Mike. How are you doing? Well, I'm doing okay. How are you doing? Uh, We're doing well. I hope everybody out there as well. And I know it's a really difficult time. The snow doesn't make it much better today, but uh, we're trying really hard to provide supports as fast as we can. Well, at least I think the snow will do its part to keep some people inside, but there are other people that we really need to get inside. What can you tell us about what is happening with regard to housing in London for people who really need it? So, as you know, um, our regular work at the city involves working uh, with those who are homeless or at the verge of becoming homeless and those people who are looking for affordable or social housing. So that work continues at the city. We continue to provide um information to people, access to potentially rental units in the community, ways for them to apply for social housing. 
At the same time, we're trying to concurrently deal with a COVID response. So dealing with um, vulnerable populations who might be really susceptible to COVID. So we've been able to set up um, hotel spaces for some people in shelters to create physical distancing. We've been able to create some isolation space and monitoring spaces for those people who might be COVID probable uh, or who are COVID uh, positive. So it's really a a comprehensive response, both in terms of trying to uh, support people to find housing, permanent housing, while concurrently addressing really immediate needs for those people who are living homeless at this point in time. You mentioned hotels, and of course, a lot of hotels have had to say, if not all hotels, look, we're kind of closing our doors right now, but that doesn't mean there isn't space there. How much of uh, an assistance or help has that been in London? It's been significant. We have really been fortunate. There have been many hotels that have come forward to say we really want to help out, and we've been able uh, to use them for a various number of things, whether it's to provide supports for a shelter that needed to um, move into the hotel because they had to physically distance uh, their their. Uh, um, their tenants, their residents. Um, in other cases, we've been able to access uh, shelter space in other hotels. There have been a number of hotels who've just come forward to indicate that they'd be willing to be participating in this for people who need to get away or at least distance from people in their homes who work in the healthcare sector as well. So I, I think the response has been significant. It's been from hotels across the city uh, and even broadly across the region, I think, as well. We're talking right now with Sandra Daters Beer, Managing Director of Housing, Social Services, and the Dearness Home for the City of London. We did hear from the city yesterday reminding that, hey, there is a commitment to affordable housing. If people can look around, if somebody does know of maybe a, a place that can be offered up, what do they do? So at this point in time, the, uh, the information on the public service announcement was to contact uh, our, our uh, housing services department, to Dave Purdy, our manager of housing services there, and I can certainly ensure that you get the information on the uh, public service announcement. And the reason we're doing it is, is kind of twofold. In addition to providing a direct support to those who, mo- who need it right now, we have an idea, maybe there's an anticipation that there may be some units that become available uh, because other activities in the community, whether it's renting units on a temporary basis or on a, uh, to support temporary uh, accommodations might not be happening as much as they have in the previous time. There might be landlords out there who have units that are available and they might want to say, I'd rather have a full-time permanent person in that unit as opposed to renting it on a weekend or a weekly basis. So we're hoping that people who are thinking about that might come forward and thus it increases the stock that's available to people who are looking. Sandra, before we end off, can you tell us a little bit about the Dearness Home? Because, of course, a lot of attention is being paid to how any long-term care home is dealing with things. How are things at Dearness? Oh, things at Dearness are uh, as stable. Uh, obviously, uh, we are very supportive of our staff there who've been doing a tremendous amount of work. The families, uh, it's been difficult for them. They haven't been able to get to see their family members in the home, but uh, our priority is for the safety of those residents. It's been good so far. Uh, we've been fortunate not to have um, have been impacted at this point in time, but every day, every hour is uh, something that we monitor there. and We've got good staff and good uh, infection controls, uh, and we're trying as best as we can to support people. Well, Sandra, job well done on that front, and thank you so much for the information. Again, if somebody does know of something that may be able to be of use for affordable housing, you mentioned contact yeah. Mr. Purdy at the city. Yeah. How would we go about doing that again? Probably the easiest number that people remember the best is 519-661-CITY. at 661-2489, and just ask to be transferred to Dave Purdy at Housing Services. Okay. Sandra, thanks so much for the thanks, time today. Mike. Okay, take care. Be well.
That is Sandra Dater's beer from the city of London. As we talk about affordable housing, and a number of individuals have stepped up in so many ways, but a number of hotels, and it's about being able to match individuals with a place to go and at the same time give them an opportunity to keep physical distance. That's that's the other part of it, you know, and we've heard so much about tragic instances in long-term care homes and seniors' residences because you don't necessarily have that ability to physically distance. With the way that the personal support workers have been utilized, they have to go to a number of different homes. That was used... That has not worked out well because that has aided in the spread. And so when we look at the homeless community, physical distancing is sometimes not possible there or is just not something that has been done, has been recognized. And so that can become an issue. So it's twofold. It is certainly to find people a place to stay who want a place to stay. But at the same time, it's also trying to lessen the effects of the spread of COVID-19. So we thank everybody at the city for doing that. You've been listening to the London Live podcast. Catch the show live on weekdays from 1 to 3.